everybody. Welcome to the Stepping Off Now podcast. I'm Kendra. It took me a while to think of how I wanted to title this episode because I want to talk about how important it is to take the time that we need to rest and move through things. And just using the word recover didn't feel quite right to me because sometimes, sure, that's what we need to do, just like we would need to recover from an intense exercise session or a hard day at work. But I'm talking about something much bigger than that. I'm talking about taking time to rest and digest our experiences so that we can adjust to new realities. And we're constantly doing this in small and large ways every day. Recently, I suffered a loss, the loss of my cat Lucy, and that requires a pretty big adjustment, right? I have to get used to not having her here, not feeding her, not needing to clean the litter box, not having her wander in to say hello in the middle of the day. But there are many smaller things throughout every day of our lives that require us to kind of adaptively manage ourselves. And we often don't realize how much we're having to do this because we seek to stabilize our circumstances in such a way that we can feel fairly secure on a day-to-day basis that we know what to expect. But as I'm often saying, we live in such complex realities that changes are essentially always occurring, and nothing really does stay the same on a day-to-day basis. This is one of the things that makes life challenging, but also interesting and fun. So I think what I'm really talking about when I say that we need to take the time that we need, I'm talking about this kind of thing, the stress that accrues as we move through life and encounter these small or large changes. And this is something that I think we do not realize or understand in our culture how much time we actually need. We need far, far more time to rest and digest than we're typically aware of. And of course, this varies from person to person. So I'm the type who needs like a lot (laughs) throughout the day. I kind of have built in empty spaces, a lot of empty spaces, because this is how I keep my equilibrium, my equanimity, my mental health, which relies on me being calm and activating that parasympathetic nervous system. Some people don't need much time at all. But I think if we're finding ourselves feeling stressed and overwhelmed, that indicates that we need to take more time. We need to make more time, more space in which to allow our minds to comprehend the effort that we have just expended, the experience that we've just been through, the changes we've seen and worked through, the losses that we've experienced. It's not enough to say consciously, okay, now things are different, let's move on. The subconscious needs the time that it needs, and again, varies from person to person, but usually it needs a while. If you find yourself coming home after a hard day's work and just collapsing onto the sofa and vegging out, it's because you need to. That's your brain telling you that you need to take some time and maybe, you know, taking some time throughout the day as well, not not just waiting until the end of the day might be a good idea. It's unfortunate that as adults, 
we don't have the, these kinds of spaces built into our days. Children get to have nap times, right? And in some cultures, the siesta is still observed sometimes, but generally not in places that have business hours, right? And so what ends up happening is we, we get overwhelmed and exhausted to the point where we need far more recovery time than we actually probably would need if we were able to take the, that time interspersed throughout the day to just kind of zone out and kind of let, let our brains digest things. This is why sleep is so important and getting enough sleep is so important because that's one of the prime times that our, our brains really work through things. And we can see evidence of that sometimes in in the shape of our dreams, if we remember them. We unfortunately tend to see this type of activity that I'm talking about, this taking of time as lazing about and as something that is is excessive in its neediness, right? So if you have someone in a work environment who falls asleep during afternoon meetings, who might benefit from a siesta type arrangement, we would see that as excessive and abnormal, when in fact, it's probably more normal than not. And even people who aren't nodding off in afternoon meetings, aren't really absorbing stuff, aren't really participating and contributing in constructive ways. But this is only one part of what I'm talking about when I say we need to take the time that we need to not just rest, And not just digest, but to adjust so that we can get to a place where we're ready to re-engage from a place of authenticity and enthusiasm. I've been thinking about this kind of thing lately because of my decision to kind of have an official mourning period for my cat Lucy, where I don't totally take off from everything in life, but just allow a lot of things to drop and to publicly announce this and have it almost be like one of those old style mourning periods that people used to have where they would, when, when a person died, of course, not necessarily an animal, but they would wear black and maybe not go to social engagements for a period of six months or, you know, I mean, it varies from culture to culture. We don't really tend to do that kind of thing anymore, at least not in any kind of public and official sense. Because simply put, the working world won't allow it. We, again, tend to see people who do this kind of thing as being excessively needy. And to illustrate my point, I am going to tell you (laughs) about a time when I thought this about someone. This was back when I was working in DC. Uh, I was working at a think tank and one of my coworkers had a family member pass away. I think it was an extended family member, but she took something like two weeks off of work. I mean, it it was enough that I was taken aback. And she was from another culture. Her parents were immigrants to the United States. So I thought, well, maybe this has something to do with traditions in their culture. And the workplace was very accommodating and very liberal very open to that kind of thing. So nobody said anything and she took the weeks and that was fine. But I remember thinking, gosh, I mean, imagine taking that much time off for this kind of thing. You know, very ungenerous of me, obviously. Now, looking back, of course, with 
more mature eyes and having been through my own losses, I have more sensitivity to people's needs to take time. And I think that people should take however much time they need to. Some people might think that it's totally excessive to take as much time as I'm taking to mourn a cat. It doesn't matter if other people think that. Granted, things can be tricky when it comes to taking time off work, but I think that we need to insist on the taking of time, the taking of space and time that seems excessive because of our biases that come from living by this work-a-day, clock-bound, time-is-money perspective. Nothing could be more generous and compassionate towards yourself than allowing yourself to take the time that you need, whatever that looks like, however much time that is. And to do this often, to do this generously in the way that you might put that extra dollop of whipped cream on your ice cream sundae. Because taking that time and space that you need is the best way that you can truly honor and respect yourself. And if it happens to be time that you're taking for mourning, it's also the best way to honor and respect the thing that you're mourning. One aspect of this that I think is very important is to make this an actual thing that is on the schedule. And I say that loosely because if you're like me, you may prefer as much as possible to not have a schedule like that. So what I'm really saying is that it's something that you make a point of delineating from the other parts of your day. So it's not just something that you're just so exhausted that you just kind of collapse and then inadvertently you you are taking the time and space to recover, to adjust, right? I mean that you actually say to yourself at least and possibly other people around you that this is time that you're using to rest and digest or whatever you want to call it, your quiet time, so that it becomes part of the rhythm of your day. And the periods of activity are matched by these periods of resting and reflecting as often as you need them. I find that I need a good chunk of time for resting and reflecting after every burst of activity during the day. So my day really does look like I'll have this burst of activity that lasts however long, usually an hour to two hours. And then I'll have a period where I'm doing something that's kind of like not necessarily just sitting there zoning out, although although often it looks like that. Sometimes it's eating or having a cup of tea or going outside to water the garden, these kinds of things. Really what I'm talking about here is paying attention to the needs of your, your spirit and your body. And the same thing goes for taking time out to adjust to new realities, big changes in life or big disappointments. I have a friend who missed out on a job opportunity that he was really, really excited about. And as you can imagine, it was a huge blow. And he took a day, a full day to kind of mourn the loss of this and to adjust himself to a different vision of his future going forward. And I loved that. I loved the formalness of that. 
of giving time and space to those feelings of disappointment and acknowledgement of how difficult it is to move past a, a dream or vision that you had for yourself, to mourn that and to give, give yourself that space before you decide on what the next steps are. There's so much respect for the self inherent in this kind of thing, so much generosity towards the self and self-compassion in acknowledging the legitimacy of your feelings of disappointment or grief or sorrow or vexation or frustration or anger and giving space to all of those. I think we maybe fear that if we do that, the emotions will run away with us, but actually the opposite is true. They're like the monsters under the bed that if if you try to ignore them, they just get bigger and scarier under there. But if you kind of get down there and go under the bed and hang out for a while, you realize they kind of dissipate. They disappear. They just need acknowledgement. They're like, I don't know, <laughs> misbehaving children who really what they want is some attention, some interaction, some acknowledgement of validity, that, that they have a right to exist in this world, that they're appreciated. I've talked before about appreciating and accepting all of our emotions, even the so-called ugly ones, and embracing them, in fact. Then we discover that they're not so scary. You know, they're not going to kill us. And I think that's very hard because we tend to feel guilty or ashamed of some of the more difficult emotions that we feel. And because of that, we repress them. And then they turn into some really toxic stuff like resentment is a big one. Shame is another soul-destroying feeling that you can have that is really sort of the perversion of other stuff that you haven't allowed yourself to accept and embrace. Somehow we think that we're not supposed to be feeling the ugly stuff, that it's a sign that we're bad in some way. There is an interesting experiment you can run. I do this a lot now. In fact, it's it's um, almost second nature. Every time someone on a TV show cries, give yourself a dollar when the response of the person with them is to say, oh, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> Never does anyone say, it's okay to cry, let it out. Well, sometimes they do, but mostly not. Something I'm learning from weightlifting, which I've recently taken up, is that, at least to me, weightlifting is really about the spaces in between doing the lifting. I know for many, weightlifting is probably about building up strength and seeing how much more they can lift next time. But for me, there's a meditative quality about the periods of rest in between the work. And you typically rest longer than you spend actually doing the lifting, where you're just kind of standing there, you know, resting and recovering, <laughs> letting your muscles adjust. And and of course, the real benefits of weight weightlifting, the real work of your muscles is done when you're in that recovery mode and in the days following. This is why you don't do it every day. You do it maybe three, four days a week max. At least this is according to my coach. And granted, I'm, I'm not an expert yet, but these are my observations thus far. And I really love that because it's such a contrast to something like CrossFit or Zumba, where you're constantly active. You just go, 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 go. 
And people tend to think that that's what exercise is and that that's the best kind of exercise. But actually studies show that's not the case, that strength training is actually, if you want results, all kinds of results from toning to weight loss to maintaining bone density, really strength training is what you need to be doing. This is kind of a revelation to me because I've always felt like such a dunce when it comes to exercise. I just don't enjoy cardio. So starting weightlifting, which really happened only by chance, I was checking out what was available to do on Meetup. I don't know if you've heard of it, meetup.com. There's also an app where local people can post about um, activities, group-based activities. And basically the only thing happening (laughs) was weightlifting. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll give it a try. I think some things are providential. Anyway, my point is that the more that I take this journey into myself and this experiment in intuitive living that I've been doing these last several years, and the more that I listen to what my body and spirit are telling me I need to do for myself, the more I find myself taking time, taking space and time for rest, recovery, and adjustment. And the funny thing is, is that it hasn't equaled getting less done. I've actually started being more productive than I was before because I'm not exhausted all the time. So I would like to encourage you to think about whether or not you are taking time and space in your life on a regular basis throughout the day and also when it comes to larger events and circumstances like a loss and how it might change your life to actively incorporate that kind of time into your life and how you can do it in a way that suits you. It suits me to do this consistently throughout the day and I would definitely encourage you to try that because I think it works really well. But maybe there's another way that would work better for you. One final thing I want to mention here is that it's tempting to say that this is similar to mindfulness, or it's similar to having a meditation practice. I disagree. I'm not talking about something that is yet more work that you have to do. Some people like meditation, but personally, I don't. It feels like a lot of work and I don't get much out of it. I don't understand what's so great about it. If if it works for you, you love it, that's great. Doesn't for me and I know I'm not the only one. Same with mindfulness. Like, what does that even mean and how do you do it? I'm I'm not convinced that that's a helpful concept necessarily. I know a lot of people like it. Presumably it works, but to me it just feels like yet another thing that we're supposed to be doing. Like gratitude practice is another one. I can tell you that I tried practicing gratitude so much through the years, and it did absolutely nothing for me. The truth of the matter is, is that unless you're grateful for your life and the things in it, you're not going to be grateful for your life and the things in it. What I mean is that unless you kind of naturally feel that way, like you're, you're happy in your life and your life feels good to you, what is gratitude going to help with? For me, it always just made me feel guilty. Like I should be feeling more grateful for my life, right? And I didn't. I hated my life. Even though I could see so many privileges in it, I was so unhappy. I hated my life. Yet another way of feeling like something was wrong with me. Gratitude practice. I'm not talking about anything like that when I say taking the time and space. 
I am actually talking about just allowing yourself to sink into yourself in whatever way that feels good to you. And that very well could be switching on the TV and watching a half hour comedy. It very well could be making a cup of tea and just staring out the window. It could be taking a nap. It could be playing solitaire or a video game, reading, anything, really, that allows you to kind of have that feeling of really taking a breath, a sigh of relief, that feeling of just resting, of taking time. That's what I'm talking about, not forcing yourself to do yet another thing that is supposed to be good for you and benefit you. And right now, you know, in my life, what feels good is is taking this time to grieve for Lucy and to lighten my load by jettisoning some of my responsibilities and contemplating life and what it means and the role of animals and loved ones and what I can do going forward to value my life, what I have in my life. All very important things that I think at the end of my own life, I'll be grateful that I took the time to do, to think about. Because what I'm talking about here really fundamentally is about the quality of life, enhancing the quality of your life. It's like that poem by Mary Oliver in which she says something like, what is it you're going to do with your one wild and precious life? One thing I'm going to do is to take a lot of time to just be, to not do, but to be. In fact, personally, I like a life that's weighted towards the being over the doing. It's something to think about. I'm going to leave you with that. I hope you have a wonderful week and I will see you next Friday. Bye.